1: to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 2. We will pick up in verse 12 today. And, and what we're doing is we're just continuing in our study of the book of Revelation called Wartime Letters. You see, um, at the beginning of the book, the book of Revelation kind of has some different sections. In chapter 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation, Jesus writes letters to seven different churches, Now these are historical churches, they really did exist. So each of these letters are given directly to those specific churches because each of those specific churches had specific issues that the Lord needed to deal with, but these churches kind of transcend even that, and it applies to all churches throughout the church age, and so we're just going through them. We're studying the problems and issues those specific churches had, but we also want to be aware of these are problems that every church can have or combination of problems, and today we come to our our third letter, and it is the letter to the church at Pergamum, a very interesting name, but we're going to be looking at this church. Now, the issue that this church is dealing with is it is a church that was engaged in compromise. This church is beginning to be linked with inseparably to the world. It appears that this church has decided that it can maintain some kind of Christian credibility, but also associate itself with the world. And so this church in Pergamos, it's a picture of really any church or any Christian that courts the world, like we want to be like the world while maintaining an image that they are wed to Christ. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And I was thinking about this church and I was reminded of something that reminded me of this church. I think that this church... I, you, you guys are going to understand what I'm talking about. Like, this church is kind of like the individual on the highway. Maybe you're driving, I don't know, behind them, and they're in front of you, and they cannot decide what lane they want to be in, right? And they're in this lane, and then they go in that lane, and that lane, they go back and forth, and they simply do not know what lane they want to be in. And the reality is, is maybe you're back there driving, and you don't really care what lane they're going to get in, it would just be helpful, helpful for you if they made a decision so you would know what lane that they were going to get in. I was thinking about this. There's two things that we need to know about any individual who's driving on the road, know no one lane they want to get in. First thing is this, that individual is confused, right? They're, they're, they're confused, but not only that, everyone around them are confused as well. We're going to see that in this church specifically, whenever you are unstable about which direction that you are going, you not only have instability yourself, you're going to find that you're going to cause those around you to be unstable as well. And that's this church. This is, it's courting the world. I don't be in the world. I don't want to do what the world does. I, I'm also going to do what these, the church does. I don't call myself a Christian. I'm going to do all this stuff. I don't know what lane I'm in. I'm confused. Now I'm confusing everyone around me. Well, it just so happens that Jesus has an opinion on the church that might try to do that. Well, let's look what Jesus says. Chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to walk through this beautiful letter. First thing we're going to see is the testimony of the church. The testimony of the church. Jesus begins, we got seven letters. Jesus begins all seven letters in a similar way. There might be a t- temptation to sit there and think, well, if we've already looked at it two times, why don't we look at it a third time? We've got to look at it a third time because the sovereign God put it in the Bible a third time. It's not called for us to skip it. So let's see. Here's what he says. Verse 12, very beginning. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write. Okay, once again, just repetition. That word write, it's a command. It's an imperative And we're told that the letter is written to the word is angel. It could be an angelic being or the word is also translated messenger. It could be to the leadership of the church. And then we see it's written to the church, which is, once again, I'm just letting you know, it's ekklesia. Meaning this letter is written to a gathering of people whom God has saved. They've met, they've gathered, they have assembled so that they can worship the living God Together. So this this letter, once again, it's not written to a building, it is not written to an edifice, it is written to a people, just like here, just like here. Right. This letter is written to the church in Pergamos. Hey guys, we are the ecclesia of Silverdale, alright, so that's what we're told, it's written to them. Now, in regards to that church, we don't really know historically how that church got started, but it is a, a unique church. It's a unique church because we know that this church, Pergamum, was primarily made up of first-generation Christians. In other words, they had, for the most part, come out of pagan backgrounds, okay? This is first-generation Christians. Now, once again, we don't really have that situation here where we live today. I mean, we have people in our city who don't know Jesus, and I've probably never, I don't know, spent a lot of time around Christians, but by and large, most people around here at least have an aunt or an uncle or a grandmother who's a Christian, or perhaps one Christmas or Easter, they went to church, it's like they, they're, they're familiar with churches, okay? But this church in Pergamum, no, no, that's not the case. These are first generation Christians, Okay. So no doubt when God saved them, their lives were transformed, amazing things happened. But it seems that as time has progressed, they have begun to pick up their old habits and and, and they're bringing it into the church and you have this compromise going on. I'm telling you right now, it's a really cool thing, it's a really awesome thing, have a church full of first generation Christians, but they also have some issues. And so we see that. And then, Jesus is going to continue, once again, we're just going through the text, and now he's going to introduce himself. Once again, all seven letters, exactly the same thing happens. Jesus introduces himself, but in every letter, he introduces himself differently, all right? So, he gives an appropriate introduction to, very, to be specifically addressed the needs of of the congregation, all right? You know, the congregation, all right? So Jesus is gonna tell them about himself in light of what he's about to talk about, the problem that they're facing. Okay, okay, okay. So we know these guys are compromising. How might Jesus introduce himself? Check it out, the rest of verse 12. Here we go. This is introduction to the compromising church. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Huh, well, I don't. That'll get your attention, right? I and mean, that's not a picture of a teddy bear carrying Jesus. Like Jesus Jesus doesn't have milk and cookies here, right? He's got a double-edged sword. And I'm telling you this, my grandmother was a loving woman. But if my grandmother came up to me holding a double-edged sword, I'd be, hold on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's not a chocolate pie in your hand, Grandma. No, I want to I listen to listen. I'm all ears. Question, what is that about? What is this about? Well, it is in reference to Revelation 1.16 where Jesus says, out of my mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. But it's even more interesting because throughout Scripture, God is seen, Jesus is seen as specifically having a two-edged sword. Hebrews 4, Ephesians 6. God has this double-edged sword. All right, so um, here's my qu- here was my question. This is where I spent some time thinking. I started thinking this. Why is it double edged? Like, why isn't it single edged? Like, what I, I don't I don't know a lot about swords, but I would think a single edged sword would be a sufficient sword, right? I'm not, <laughs> I come? Look, 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 okay. I have on my phone, I got this game called Fruit Ninja. Yeah, have any of you played Fruit Ninja? Okay, 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 single-edged sword, single-edged sword. They, they throw out the fruit, and you slice it. Pretty effective. I thought, why not a single-edged sword? Why does God, why does Jesus have a double-edged sword out of his mouth? It's the word of God. Start researching double-edged sword, and double-edged swords move fast They move rapidly, they are devastating, here's the key, in any direction that they go. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. So, wait, wait, this is not a promising, positive introduction to this church. It's a threatening one. And by the way, this is the first negative introduction in the book of Revelation. It means this church, the compromising church, will face imminent judgment. Why? Why? No, really. Why? 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 Because these other churches we've been seeing—they got some bad stuff going on too. Why in the world is God bringing a double-edged sword against that church? Why? Because they're compromising. They're compromising. They're compromising. Church, we see here, God takes compromising exceedingly serious. All right, that's the picture. We got it going on. That's the introduction. We got the introduction. Now he's going to continue in the letter but before Jesus moves on to the condemnation he's going to tell them what they're doing right. Verse 13, here's what they're doing right. He says this, I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. Pause, we're going to talk about that. I mean that's, that's pretty, that's a, that's a lot going on there. Let's just break it down, let's break it down. He begins, I know. Once again, every letter, he says the same thing. Ephesus, I know your deeds. Smyrna, I know your tribulation. He tells this church, I know where you live. In other words, Jesus says, hey, guys, I know your neighborhood. And I know the neighborhood you live in is a rough neighborhood. Like Satan's throne is in your neighborhood. I have lived in some rough neighborhoods. I never lived in a neighborhood that rough. Satan's throne is in your city. That's an amazing statement. You know this. I got to say this real quick. Contrary to what some people may think, Satan's throne is not in hell. Satan's throne is in this world. Hell is his place of incarceration. This world is his place of operation. Satan is here And this power has been unleashed on that city, Pergamos. And that little church was struggling. And they had fallen victim. I'm going to tell you this right now. If I was to ask you what's the fastest way to destroy a church, you might say persecution. But I told you last week, persecuted churches are some of the strongest churches we have. You know the fastest way to destroy a church? Get it to compromise. And that's this church. Satan had established his base of operation in that city. I do not know why, but he had. And so that's what's going on. And now Jesus says, I know your neighborhood. I know you're living in a rough neighborhood. He's going to continue, verse 13. Here we go, the rest of it, yet. I love that word, yet. Hey, guys, I know where you live. I know it's rough, yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. There's a lot going on there, but I got to tell you something that it just came to my mind, and I want to share this with you. I don't know who Antipas is. You might could go study it. But by and large, this man died for his faithfulness. I don't know his name, but what just hit me hard is Jesus knows his name, right? That's such an encouraging thing. But Jesus says, I know your neighborhood. I know it's difficult. But I also know that you hold fast to my name. You guys don't deny me identifying with me. You don't turn your back on me. When things get going tough, even when Antipas was killed, member of your church, like imagine this assembly right here, one of us being killed in the streets. But they don't deny Jesus. They continue to be faithful, and that's amazing testimony for that church. I want to say this real quick. I want to say this. This is a powerful truth for us, guys. Listen, the truth is, it is possible to be an effective Christian even in very difficult places, like where you work. Maybe some of you are working in some very difficult places. You can go to school, the friends you hang out with. It is possible to be an effective Christian. You don't have to compromise. Church, you do not have to compromise. You can take your stand, and Jesus commends them for that. And you hold fast. You guys held fast. One of you lost your, his life, and you continue to be faithful. What a powerful, powerful testimony for this church. But now, you get to verse 14, and Jesus is going to talk about what they got going wrong. And we're going to look at the tolerance of the church. The tolerance of the church. Let me read these next three verses. There's a lot going on. We won't pull all of it out, but we're going to look at some of it. Look at this, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. Church, I've got to tell you something. I don't know what Jesus might say to me if I was to stand before him right now, but I'm quite certain he would have more than a few things to say against me. Amen. But I have, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some you hold who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with what the sword of my mouth there's a lot going on there a lot of things that I'd like to talk about and we're going to talk about some of them but I want to back up because there's so, when I read that when I studied that something just kept pounding me and I want to share this with you there's a word in there repeated that has caused me some trouble I don't know it's that word some some two times Jesus says you have some in other words check it out church It's not the whole church. Like the whole church is not doing this. The interesting thing to me, though, is although the whole church is not involved in this, the whole church is being held accountable to this. The whole church is being admonished for this. That's interesting to me because, listen, we know, because we have a, I'm talking about today, we have a tendency in the church today. If we see a minority doing something contrary to what the church teaches or whatever, the majority tends to maybe blow it off, ignore it, and we say something like this, not my business, man. Not my business. Not my business. And if I bring it up, it's going to get messy. People going to get upset. People may leave. It may break the peace and harmony of our church. And by the way, that is their error. It's not my error. It doesn't affect me jesus says here oh no it does affect you church silverdale silverdale you can look around we're a body of believers and we got a responsibility to one another means the guy sitting over here got a responsibility to the guy sitting over here and all of us have responsibilities to one another Just because you may not actively participate or even agree with what others might be doing, we all have a responsibility to one another. And Jesus tells the whole church, whole church, whole church not doing it. He tells the whole church to do what? All y'all, repent. 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 Not just the ones in error, whole church. Repent. Oh man, that, that don't seem fair. Jesus, I'm not compromising. I'm not the one doing that. Jesus says it doesn't matter. The whole church is called to repent, even those not actively involved. Once again, we are a body of believers. We have a responsibility to one another. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus Jesus say if the whole church does not repent? I will come to you, whole church, soon and war against them. That's the compromisers with the sword of my mouth. In other words, church, if you don't all repent, I'm going to come and take care of it. I don't sound good. I don't sound good. It reminds me of my house sometimes. Maybe you've been there if you're a parent. My kids got a messy room and I say, guys, go clean your room. Long time has passed and the room has not been cleaned. And so I say this one, I say, if you don't clean your room very soon, then I'm going to clean it, and I'm going to bring the trash bag with me, you know? As was as you say, hey, do it, take care of this. This is a powerful picture, guys. We we have a responsibility to one another, and sometimes it involves difficult, loving conversations. Amen. But let's keep going. Next thing I want us to notice here in that whole three verses is Jesus goes back to the Old Testament, right? He goes back to the Old Testament and he introduces the teachings of Balaam. Now, we don't have time to go into all of that. You can go to Numbers chapter 25. You can read all of it. But why does Jesus go back to the Old Testament? By the way, let me say this real quick. I just told you these were first-generation Christians, right? But those first-generation Christians, Jesus expected them to know their Bible. He did. All right, you go. Know, you know, you don't have to tell it. Numbers twenty-five. You guys know it. Why did he go back there? He went back to that story because they had people now practicing what Balaam had taught. Only now they're called the Nicolaitans. New, same error, same sin, different name. By the way, let me tell you this: it happens all the time. You see it every few years or generations or whatever. Same sin. Same error, just got a new name, got a new shine, got a new, I don't know, kind of branding. But it's the same. And the, the Nicolaitans, what they say? Basically, they go this. You can come to church on Sunday. Hey, I'll come to church on the weekend. Come to church, love the Lord. Do what, hey, have a, hallelujah, praise God. And on Monday, you can do whatever you want to do. Don't matter. Don't worry about it. You can go watch whatever you want to watch with your eyes. You can go say whatever you want to say with your mouth. You can cuss. You can tell crude jokes. You can sleep with whomever you want to. Just do this. Clean that stuff up before you go to church, right? Leave that stuff at home. When you get to church, it's all good. It's all good. In other words, there is no correlation between what you believe and the way you live. That's what Jesus is talking about. You, get, you got something in the church doing that. Mixing together the things of God with the things of the world. Yeah, I, I don't do that. I'm gonna, you keep doing that. You keep doing that. I'm going to bring the sword. That's serious. So, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Simple. Simple. Repent. Repent. We don't have to go start some committee. We don't have to have a 10-point action plan. You can do it right now. Repent. Knock it off. Stop it. Repent. The life of a Christian is a life of continual repentance. Repent. I was thinking, man, compromise. Jesus, don't like it. Don't like it. But in my life, and I've seen the life of churches, it's easy to do. It's easy to do without even knowing that you're doing it. And you all of a sudden find out. Someone from the outside comes in, they look at you and like, man, you've compromised a lot. And you, you get offended at first. No, I haven't. And then they start listing, and you are go, like, well, maybe I have. And I was thinking about it. When it comes to compromise, I most often see four categories of compromise. Now, this is not in your notes, Okay. You can take notes if you want to. I meant to maybe put it in there, I didn't, but these are the four areas that I see Christians in the church struggling with with compromise, and I want to briefly go through them, all right? First, I see this in the church. among Christians. How do we compromise? One, we indulge our own desires, right? We compromise. We indulge our own desires. Like that's probably the most frequent reason we compromise we got a sinful desire something that we want something that we desire and instead of what repenting of it we compromise oh but we don't we do more than just compromise we find some way i don't know through i don't know our inner lawyer to make it so that we can bring it into the church and so we don't only have to repent of it right we don't repent We're going to keep doing it, keep going to church. I like doing that. I know it's a sin, but I read somewhere about something, and I heard this wolf of a pastor say that, and it's okay, so I'm good. We compromise. That's the first we do. We just indulge ourselves. Second way that I think, I see, second most, the way we compromise, is I just say this, ignorance of God's word. Ignorant, man, ignorant. Sometimes a believer lives like the world because he simply doesn't know God's standard. Oh, I'm not pointing fingers. I've been there, man. Man, I've been there. I hope you've been here too, man. You're sitting there reading the word of God or you're at church or you're at church and the pastor says something or the word of God says something. You're like, I did not know that. It's okay. It's okay. I'm reading the Bible. I did not know that. And I'm guilty of that. I'm doing that. I'm sorry, God. I repent. Right? Thankfully, we all have full access to the Word of God. There is no reason for any of us to remain in ignorance. There's no reason at all. Willful ignorance is a sin. But we do, we ignore God, we're ignorant, and we compromise. Third, this is the third thing I see, this all over the place. Fear of being labeled. I don't know why, I don't know, I don't know why that gets all over us. But we worry about it. We worry more about what the world will think about us than what God thinks about us. I don't want, I know, I don't want to be labeled. I don't want to be different. I don't want to stand out in the crowd. So what do we do? There's peer pressure, all this stuff. It's real, by the way. I know it's real. I know peer pressure is real. I know it's hard. You're sitting there hanging out with some non-believers, and they want to do something, and you know you ought not do it, but you don't want to be the one to say, I'm not going to do that because it is offensive to my God, and it's sinful or whatever. And so you're like, it's easier to compromise. I've done it, okay? I've done it. I'm not pointing. I've done it. (laughs) Jesus says, don't repent. Of doing that. I remember one time someone told me this. They go, hey, Travis. Someone told me, they go, hey, Travis, um, my friends don't, know, don't even know I'm a Christian. And I'm like, how's that possible? <laughs> like you, I ain't nothing to be proud of, brother. How, how do you pull that off? Fourth way that I see us compromising. Oh, there's just so much in this one, and I hope I say it correctly. Offer me Grace. Misguided attempts to be relevant, right? I've heard Christians, even Christian leaders, dress and speak in questionable ways in an attempt to connect with the culture. I will say this the most eloquent way I can that is lame. All right, that's lame city. There's nothing lamer than a Christian trying to be relevant to the world in order to woo them to Jesus. Jesus didn't do that, the apostles did not do that. I'm not even for sure how that became a thing. We're told in our text exactly what Jesus thinks about it even today. I ain't cool with that. I'm not cool with that, okay? God's not, you don't, you don't, you don't do that. Now, I want to clarify this, okay? I'm not saying that we go around looking so different than the world that the world just thinks, you know, they're afraid of us or whatever. That's a, that's a, that's a real thing, by the way, real, okay, true, so there's, there's some tension here, Uh, so, uh, okay, this is a true, this is a true story, I never shared this story before, okay, um, years ago, it was here in, here in our city, um, um, I, was, I was asked to speak at a, a Christian event type thing, another ministry, not Silverdale, and I agreed to do it, okay? Now, um, I have a non-Christian friend, I had a non-Christian friend, and um, we were hanging out. And we so happened to be hanging out on the same day of that event, and I said, hey, man, I've been asked to go speak at this event, you wanna go with me? He goes, yeah, man, I'll go check that out. And so we get to the event, okay, this is what we're going, we get to the event. And, um, and, well, when you get to the events, if you're speaking, what happens is you, you, you go in and, and they introduce you to the leadership and the worship leaders and all that. So I'm getting introduced, to all this stuff, and, you know, and, and I'm introducing him as well. They don't know he's not a believer. They just, just I don't know. And so I tell him, I go, well, here's the deal. Here's what's gonna happen. I want you to know what's gonna happen. Here's what's gonna happen. Um, in a moment, they're gonna lower the lights. Those guys that you just met in the band, they're gonna come sing some songs. They're gonna sing a song. I'm gonna come up there. I'm going, I'm going to give a message, and then you and I are gonna leave and get dinner. He's like, all right, sounds good. Okay, so here's what goes down, guys. Go Here's what happens. okay. So um, the lights go down, and then here's what happens. This was, I don't know, several years ago. This was the cool thing to do. I don't know. They started lighting candles, okay? I'm not talking about one candle or five candles or 10 candles. I'm talking about a fire hazard. You know what I'm saying? They just got candles, candles, and they lighting the candles. And my buddy's, his eyes getting really big. And he goes, Travis, this is weird. And, and he goes, he's like, man, I've seen this stuff on TV and it never goes well, right? And I'm like, yeah, 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 well, this is kind of, I knew what they were trying to do. And I think it's like, weird. But then the, then the worship guys get on stage and they all, you know, I don't, they take their shoes off. They all take their shoes off. And this guy's like, he's, just, he's ready to bolt. And I said, listen, stay here, stay here. I'm going to speak really fast. None of these guys go to Silverdale. It won't matter, you know, and we'll go we'll go, we'll go, eat. And so I did that. But then I spoke. we got out of there. He got out of there, okay? So I'm not arguing that we've got to be so different that people on the outside, they look at us and get all, I don't know, these guys are crazy. We, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we do not want to be looking so much like the world that when someone comes in here, there's no clear distinction, right? They, don't, they can't distinguish that we're different, all right? And here's the good news. The word of God is relevant. His message is relevant, all right? Those are the basically four areas I see. Let's keep moving on to verse 17, and the last thing we're gonna see is the triumph of the church. Okay. He concludes with encouragement. Verse 17, first part. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Once again, he says this in all seven letters. Basically, Jesus saying, listen up, pay attention. Church, Silverdale, Ecclesia Silverdale. If you got ears and you're here or you're watching... Jesus says, listen to this. Put weight on what I've just said. I've got little patience. Jesus is going to bring the sword. You're going to be compromising with the world. Listen, repent. He continues, verse 17, to the one who conquers, that's to Christians. I will give you some of the hidden manna. That's a promise. And I will give him a white stone. That's a promise with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Come on, church. That is three amazing promises to Christians. Three, three, three. What are they? Real quick, let's, let's go through them. First, real, just real quick. First, he promises hidden manna. Christian, you've been promised hidden manna. What's hidden manna? Old Testament, old flavored, honey flavored bread that G- God provided to the Israelites when they were wandering God said, I want you to take some of that manna, I want you to put it in a jar, and I want you to put that jar in the Ark of the Covenant, and that was called the hidden manna. We could study it. Here's the point. What does it represent? Jesus Christ, the bread of life. You repent, and you believe, Jesus, God said, man, I got Jesus for you. I got Jesus for you. Got Jesus for, I got for you bread that will sustain you. I got a bread that will give you eternal life. It's a promise, second promise Get a white stone, white stone, white stone. What's that represent? Well, I got to tell you, I don't know. I don't know. Most commentators really don't know what the white stone exactly is. I read a lot, I'm not convinced the most of it, but I'll tell you this the general picture is the white stone is the invitation to a banquet. You have the white stone, you get into the banquet that is heaven. Third promise, come on. Third. Church, hear this. Hear this. You get a new name. You get a new name. Who writes that new name? Jesus does. Who knows that name? Jesus know that name? You get to know that name. Who else? Nobody. What is it a picture of? That's a picture of intimacy. That's a picture of love. Relationship. Amen. Three tremendous three tremendous promises. And that, my friends, concludes the third letter to a compromising church. Let's close up this way. I know for a fact I believe that no one here today or watching would say they want to compromise. But I imagine many of us have or we are we are practicing nicolotians or Nicolaitans or balaamites so what we do what do we do what do we do what do we do one thing repent 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 and some of you know that some of us are compromising. My encouragement to you is this. You do have some responsibility to help. Lovingly, graciously, patiently. But please, if you see it, walk alongside us, love us, help us. We do not want to be a people who compromise final thing is this if you don't know jesus if you don't know this jesus thank you for being here thank you for watching or listening but i implore you this very moment repent of your sins and believe say jesus save me and he will
0: I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. We would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six week sermon series called Jesus in the midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They're about to enter the darkest moment in history and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast.